Knock me down. I got some damage. Okay, Topper. These are in. Landing gear's frozen. Looking good. Lost my radar. Okay, a, a little more power now. I'm out of fuel. Right for lineup. Lost a wing. Doing fine. There goes the other one. Okay, Topper. Call the ball. Touching down. <laughs> You're listening to the podcast, so there I was. It's how every great aviation tale begins. Episode 17, with the world-famous paddles. Nasty. Retired two-star admiral joined us today, Fig. Did you have any fun with this one? The time went too fast. It went so fast because I was sitting on the edge of my seat listening to his stories. And first of all, what a great military officer a uh, world-class naval aviator, what, uh, 3,750 yeah. flying hours, uh, 3,000 of that in the F-14, 1,240 traps. He went on 15 different six-month or greater deployments on, you name it, aircraft carriers. I mean, he is a walk-and-talking naval aviation, basically legend, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's like nine or ten years at sea in 36 years of active duty. <laughs> right. Retired two-star well, admiral. You can tell he exudes leadership, and that's the best thing I can say about this guy is that when, when you hear this show, the leadership just oozes out of this man, and what, what a treat it must have been to serve under his command. He is a down-to-earth, solid individual. I, I, I can't put it any better than that. I was sad when it, when it ended. I didn't want it to end. Right? Yeah, me neither. He, let me put it this way. He allotted 90 minutes uh, – of time of his time for us and we're just shy of two hours at this moment right here we just finished the interview with him so thank you nasty for joining us we hope you'll come back and for everybody listening buckle in because this is a hell of a show so there i was episode 17 It's how every great aviation tale begins. You're listening to the podcast, so there I was. This is Repeat, coming to you from New Hampshire today, joined by my co-host, Fig. Thank you. Hey, this is Fig. I'm back in Kansas City, and I am, well, we both are real excited to talk to uh, our guest today, Nasty. Uh, you may have heard this uh, call sign mentioned on an earlier episode, and we're going to put the the dot over the I and cross the T today on that story. I can't wait to hear the rest of his stories. So welcome, Nasty. Hey, it's great to be here, you guys. I'm coming from Annapolis, Maryland, where we live in our forever home. And uh, I'm surrounded by I love me stuff. And uh, great stories actually staring straight across at the Bug Roach Paddles award that I received for um, my piece in that in that story that we'll get to later. But it's great to be here with you guys. Thanks for coming with us. So we're going to open with a question we asked everybody. How, how is it you got into aviation? And in your case, uh, how is it you wound up finding yourself as a cadet at the Naval Academy? Well, that's an interesting journey. And I started that specific journey in the eighth grade in 1974, so to make it your, your listeners shocked back to how old I am, my dad was a 1958 graduate of the academy, and I heard academy stories all the time. Uh, he 
he would tell stories. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, I never gave it kind of a thought. It was just sort of an environmental thing. 1974, he took us to an away, a Navy away football game down at Georgia Tech. Uh, he was a Marine uh, stationed in MCAS Beaufort, South Carolina. And uh, we drove down to Georgia Tech and we went to the football game and the midshipmen marched on the whole brigade, just like you see in Army Navy. And I had this flash of vision. I looked down at those guys in, in black coats and white hats and I said, I want to be one of them. I just right there. I want to be one of them. I don't know what it was, but that vision of, of those folks marching on, um, next Monday, uh, I went to the school guidance counselor in the Robert Smalls junior high school in Beaufort, South Carolina. I said, I'm going to the Naval Academy. Help me get there. And she took uh, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, turned it on its side, drew four columns, wrote ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th grades and wrote every course I needed to take for four years. Wow. Because my dad was a Marine and we moved around a lot, I went to four different high schools, culminating in Mission Viejo High School in Mission Viejo, California, when my dad was stationed at El Toro Marine Corps Air Station, where he ultimately retired in 1978. But I got through high school and got accepted to the Naval Academy, and I was going to fly. And I wanted to fly when I went there. And to, to tell you the truth, to my, uh, my brothers here on the podcast, I was going to be a Marine aviator. Because right. uh, Marines are awesome. I was around, around Marines all the time. And I thought they were sharp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Navy guys are sloppy and they got long hair and long mustaches. And so, yeah, it changed. Second class training summer in 1979. I went down to Quantico as part of the little four-stop process where you go to each of the service places and go learn about naval aviation at right. Pensacola at surface warfare at Dan Neck, Virginia, some Marines at Groton, and then Quantico. And I had a blast. We were down there and, you know, we're playing in the mud and shooting guns and, you know, getting all, all hooyahed up in the woods and things like that. And so near the end of the syllabus down there, this one week time, and I'm, I'm still, I'm going Marine Air, they gathered up everybody and like the tank guys went over there with that colonel and the infantry guys went over there with that colonel and we got all mustered up in the base theater. And this, this big old aviator stands up and he says, okay, here's how it works. You come down here, you go to the basic school. When you graduate from the basic school, we see if we've got a billet for you in naval aviation. And then you get your choice once that billet's there. I said, oh, hang on a second. So I raised my hand. Yes, midshipman. And I said, Colonel, did you say that if the Marine Corps has a billet, then we get to go to flight school? And he said, that's correct, midshipman. These are the Marine Corps take precedence right there. I said, I'm going Navy Air because I did not want another hurdle in my way that was uh, it. coming out of the academy because it was enough. And I went Navy Air. So what's funny is last part of the story, I, uh, I went home the next year for Christmas and uh, told my father I was going, you know, Navy Air. And he said, you, you need to go talk to Uncle Speedy. And Uncle Speedy was a, a Vietnam A4 pilot. And he tried to convince me for 40 minutes that I was going to die on the ramp of a carrier if I went Naval <laughs> Aviation and that I needed to go Marine Air and blah, blah, blah. And, it didn't sway me because because that hurdle was in my way. And uh, these days, that's different. You apparently go down there with a Marine Air quota and you, you go through the base school and then on to flight school. But at the time, I had to be a victim of another hurdle. And so I went Navy Air. 
And then uh, I wanted to fly Tomcats from the beginning of flight school. And, and I did well enough in flight school to get my choice of Tomcats out of Miramar. That's how I ended up out there. Well, that's a, that's a great story. I don't blame you either, Nancy. I, 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 if I was faced with that decision, I probably would have gone the same way. You get the air guarantee. Absolutely. I have to ask, what, what is your dad flying the Marines? He didn't. He was, uh, he started out in, uh, comms. And he was a LAM battalion, so so uh-huh. light light anti air missile battalion. And then he ended up in Marine Air Control. The the guys on the radios that are vectoring you, uh, you know, against the MiG. Nice. He has a great logbook from Vietnam that has all these intercepts and then what happened. You know, shoot down to the MiG or, you know, whatever. It's, it's pretty neat. So he did that all the way to retirement. He commanded Max Three and Max Five on the West Coast, and then retired as a lieutenant colonel in 1978. Nice. Okay. I'm very familiar with LAM. I did three years as a Hawk missile and Stinger missile officer before I got to flight school myself. Mm-hmm. So very cool. Awesome. All right. So Tomcats, cool airplane, absolutely huge. I had a brother who flew A4s and the first time I saw a Tomcat, I was like, oh my God, I had no idea how much bigger those things actually were. Then you started adding the wings, wingspan out on those. It's like a tennis court. It's the size of a damn tennis yeah. court. Yeah, right. Yeah, we is. called it that. We called it the we called it the flying tennis court or the or aluminum cloud. Yeah, the, the the horizontal tails, the horizontal tails on the back of the Tomcat, they're they're as big as the A four wing. Right, exactly right. the same size. The I whole, remember that. Tail. Yeah, and That's I'll tell crazy. you, the first time I saw one air to air, you know, from ten miles away, I saw this plan for him, and my wingman said, "Hey, I got a tally." I'm like, "No, nah, that can't be it." Holy shit, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I got to was... tell you, it's really funny. The first, to your point about A4, so of course, you know, down in Kingsville, I, you know, I flew A4s for advanced training and did all that kind of stuff and then and then went Tomcats in, in Miramar, right? So we did go down there and do ground school in the RAG at VF-124, do the do all the simulators, and then go on the first two hops, there's a pilot in the backseat because there's no controls back there. So when you when you pull back on the stick the first time in a Tomcat, you're you're flying it. There's nobody else to go, hey, okay, I got the controls. So anyway, I'm looking on the front of this time. We taxi down there, and it feels like a jet. I mean, all of us, you know, we've flown jets, and the, from jet to jet, they're kind of the same. And so we taxi down there, and it kind of bounces, you know, coming down kind of cool, you know, of course, and get down to the whole short and then and then get clear for takeoff, you know, wings out, flaps down, you know, off we go. And so I pull back, and, and I'm looking over the nose. I'm like, yeah, it looks kind of like an A4 nose. There's no HUD in the a so it's kind of looking at you know steam gauges and stuff okay then i looked in the mirrors and this big and it's behind me it's like whole and i turned around and looked and like wow look at all that you know behind you know the a4 you were kind of like this that thing was <laughs> and you could see i mean you put your head around the the uh, box of the ejection seat right you could actually see between the tails which in an a4 awesome was kind of hard to do uh right set. so yeah that was my first impression was how big the airplane was when i lifted off but how it just looked sort of the same when you look out the front yeah that's that's awesome that's that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an awesome perspective i've never heard that before but yeah i totally get it the, the other thing that amazed me when we would do dact uh fig and i were both harrier drivers when you do dact with the f-14 like you said you see a lot of plan form but to watch that airplane disappear into the sky when it would come nose on, I mean, there was just so <laughs> little face, you know, in the face. I mean, my eyesight wasn't ever perfect, but holy cow, it would just disappear on me. And that was disconcerting to say. The least. 
I got to fight Harriers a couple of times out out uh, near Yuma. What was it called when you guys would you know put the the uh, you know, viffing or something like that? Viffing. Yeah. Viff. Vector and forward flight. Yeah, that's yeah, what it is. Yeah, you could put on a real nozzles, and all of a sudden the thing would. Yeah, yeah, but then that was kind of easy because because it was one trick. The, we had one trick, nasty. That was it. We had one big trick. Yep. <laughs> Nothing good. You just rolled one straight up and then came over the top, and well, there's the hair. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And then unless you were below yeah, twenty thousand feet, you had no hope of getting your uh, energy back. Once you did that, you were right. you had to put the nose <laughs> at the ground and get mill power just to try and get some snots back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you the same thing with a Tomcat. If you got yourself in a hole, Tomcat A, yeah. um, you know, with the with the TF30s, if you got yourself in a hole, even an afterburner, it wouldn't accelerate very fast. But the D model, I commanded VF31 and the 110 engines in there, all you had to do from being in a hole was unload for about two potatoes, and then you go right back into the vertical again. That was nice. awesome. Nice. Yeah, we've had a couple uh, Tomcat drivers on Teleset that the D model was so much more capable and so much nicer than the uh, than the A model with, uh, with regards to the power yeah, and the engine's yeah. design. So, um, so you found yourself, let's fast forward a little bit. Cause, uh, we, you found yourself to be an LSO and it turns out, I guess you were the, the, uh, the unfortunate or the fortunate man to be on duty, uh, one day back in 1991 when, uh, one of the A6 tanker missions had their world go to crap on them in a heartbeat. Uh, so, can you tell us about that? What what was the call you got? Where were you uh, physically on the ship when you got that call? And tell us what it was like to to go through this evolution. Yeah, I love this story. You know, first of all, I loved being an LSO. I got the opportunity to be an LSO writer in VF-124, the squadron. And, and it was initially a duty, but when I got on the platform, I was like, oh, I love being out here. I want to be one of these guys. If I'm not flying, I want to be on the platform. So I really got the, um, you know, got the bug uh, to use the bug roach pun. But hey, nasty, can I can I stop you just for a second? Yeah. Before you go into the story, at which I'm I'm sitting on pins and needles for for people that don't understand what LSO is and what the platform is. Can you just kind of describe this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Fig. So an LSO is a landing signal officer and. The landing signal officer is required at the back of an aircraft carrier to ensure that the landing environment is safe for the airplane to land. Uh, And typically, from the perspective of the cockpit, there are things that you cannot see or you do not know about the flight deck. And, And there are also, as you're flying aboard the ship, the relative motion of the airplane and the ship, sometimes when you're standing on the ship, you can see the vector starting to come together and you can give commands. The LSO platform is on the the very aft port side of the ship. So if you ever see an aircraft carrier and you look back across the flight deck near the near the back, there's a there's a divider that raises um, that keeps the jet blast from blowing everybody off the back, and that's where the the, the landing signal officers stand. The nickname for landing signal officers is paddles and paddles comes from way back in World War II and earlier when the LSO was deemed necessary to ensure safe landing. One, because there was no other way to get aboard the ship other than somebody signaling to you what to do with your airplane. Uh, and two, for safety perspective. And so paddles comes from, if you see old style um, uh, landing signal officer pictures back in World War II and earlier, 
So think 1940s. They're holding on to these. Uh, they look like they look like ping pong paddles. Look at them closely. What they were was a wire frame with um, with slots in them and some fabric. It actually floats through. So when the LSO is standing in the wind, the the wind doesn't you know move the paddles out of the way. So there were, the wind would go through them, and they were colored. They were like this bright pink fluorescent orange rescue color, and the paddles would show the pilot what they wanted to do with the airplanes. And there's a bunch of signals. Um, they would actually use their arms and the paddles in their hand as kind of replicating what they, the paddles want to do with the pilot's wing. So if they wanted to, the, the pilots looking at them to lower his right wing, they would stick their arms straight out their sides and they lower their left arm. Right. So if you, if you think about looking at the LSO, you know, the, the aircraft's right wing coincides with the LSO's left arm because he's looking back at the airplane. So the pilot would mirror what you were doing. Right. And, and this is obviously yeah, before, right. prior to radio radio contact. LSO had no radio contact with the pilot. That's why you, you, these signals be, were important. Correct. And and, the, and those airplanes are flying slow enough. I bet, you know, freeway speed, you know, 60 miles an hour, maybe 40 miles an hour relative to where you had time to watch the, the optical signals. And yeah, the obvious thing, no radio. Sorry, I, m- I missed that obvious part. But there are all these paddles signals. And so the once once we got on the radio, um, then the, you know, you could you could back it up with the radio calls and then and then they started with a, an optical landing system, which is on the left side of the landing area, and it's a row of lights that are a horizontal datum, they're colored green, and there's a meatball that is an optical uh, sort of a, a design that goes at the middle, that's amber. And so that was called the Fresnel lens after Dr. Fresnel, an optician optician who designed this thing. And because of the nature of the thing in the middle, somebody called it a meatball, shortened the ball. And uh, and that's being used for glide slope these days. So radio and glide slope, or sorry, radio and the meatball took away the need for the paddles, paddles. However, the slang term still stayed. So you know, when you talk on a radio, you know, hey, four or five paddles, go ahead. Or paddles, this is 102. I have, you know, fill in the blank over the radio. So, uh, so then back to my question then. So where were you? Were, were you physically on the platform or were you inside somewhere and you get yep. the call? Uh-oh, nope, we've got an emergency pull forward. Yeah, it is, and this is a key part of the story. So I was the senior landing signal officer on, on the USS Abraham Lincoln. And I'd already had a, a deployment under my belt as the senior landing signal officer. Uh, on Enterprise, we'd come back. We had worked up the the Abraham Lincoln. She was uh, it was her maiden cruise. We we're going to the Western Pacific, and uh, we had Boeing 11 on board, which included BA 95 flying A6s, and they flew straight A6s, drop bombs, and and KA6s uh, that were refuelers. This particular airplane was actually a straight six with a straight A6 with a buddy store on it that we used to fuel refuel airplanes. And actually, today even the F18 Strike Fighter carries the same buddy store. So we had completed the recovery, a full day recovery. We had just finished debriefing all of the pilots. So we walk, we walk from ready room to ready room as an LSO team. And we find the folks that just landed and we, we debrief them on their pass and all passes are graded. So, so the landing signal officer grades the pilots passes in regards to glide slope, lineup and uh, airspeed. So meatball lineup angle of attack. And if you have a good pass with minimal deviations and good corrections, that's an okay pass. If you have a perfect pass, no deviation, that's an okay underline. If you have a pass that has deviations, the pilot makes fair, you know, fair corrections. We call it a fair. 
And then if he has deviations with unsatisfactory corrections, we call it a no grade. If they end up landing, if it's unsafe, we wave them off. And then we record the wire that the pilot catches. And so we'll walk through and it will say, hey, who was in 100? Ace says, I was in 100 paddles. Hey, pretty good pass, Ace. Uh, you know, we had you a little bit high on the start. You had a little not enough power to come down. And a little low at the ramp, caught a two-wire, pretty nice pass, okay pass. Hey, thanks, Paddles. You know, or, you know okay, who was in uh, 202? Sluggo says, I was there. And I go, okay, hey, uh, you know, you really didn't have enough power in close. Had your pretty good pass. And then and the not enough power underlined in close, low at the ramp, one wire, no grade. Oh, thanks, Paddles. God dang it. And, and so there's a little trick to debriefing and keeping them motivated. The reason we grade is because you need competition to make, keep it safe. And so that's what we're doing. So anyway. We got doing the great. We got done doing the grading, and I'm all the way up front on the ship in the dirty shirt wardroom. And I grabbed a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a glass of red bug juice, Kool Aid, right? And so I'm drinking the red bug juice, and we got about. Well, the the whole next launch has got to go, so they're they're repositioning airplanes. We've got about 45 minutes until the next recovery, until anybody else comes back. So I'm going to kind of stroll up there. All of a sudden, over the the general announcing system, the one MC of Abraham Lincoln, there's an emergency pull forward, emergency pull forward, CAG paddles to the platform. And then they repeated it twice. CAG paddles to the platform, but usually when they couldn't find CAG paddles, because he has to be there. That CAG, by the way, is the air wing. So CAG paddles is the senior, the senior air wing LSO, and that's what I was. If they can't find you around the ship and they're trying to recover airplanes, they might say tag paddles to the platform so you run up there. But they never say emergency pull forward on the general announcing system. They, they do it on the flight deck announcing system. And it's particularly not at that time. There's no reason for tag paddles to be at the platform at that particular time in the cycle and something bad is happening. So I come out of the dirty shirt wardroom and come up on the bow of the ship, put the, put the bug juice glass down, throw my sandwich overboard there on the port side bow. And I come up over the, the angle of the flight deck and I start trotting back to the, you know, the middle of the landing area, shifts in a huge turn. I mean, we are, we're healed over, you know, a lot <laughs> and we're hauling ass and, and we're just healed way over and they're towing airplanes out of the way for the emergency pull forward. In other words, what emergency pull forward is they get all the airplanes out of the way and they make a ready deck. So I'm jogging back, I get to the four wire and the, the air bosun stops me. He's the senior enlisted guy on the flight deck. And he, he says, hey, paddles. And he's yelling at me over the noise of everything. And he, and he says, hey, paddles, we got a partial ejection in an A6. And I go, okay. And then he starts talking in his mouth, the rat that he has. He got a hand on my shoulder. And I'm thinking, okay, partial ejection in an A6. That means the canopy's gone. The BN has left the airplane and the pilot's in a convertible. He's probably not going to be able to hear. So I'm, I'm thinking through, how am I going to signal this guy when he can't hear me on the radio or something like that? Right, right. And then the bosun grabs me. Yeah. Then the bosun grabs me and says, BN still with the airplane. His feet are in the cockpit. I'm like, holy shit. So I go screaming across the wires and I'm running back to the LSO platform. And over there is a young, right on the LSO platform, the enlisted operator who maintains the gear is there. And there's a young EA6B LSO trainee who is having kittens. He is jumping up and down. He's a really great guy, but everybody from the Admiral to the captain, to everybody has called him to ask him if he can wave the airplane. And he's like, no, I'm just a trainee. <laughs> and so he's, he's in the corner, jumping up and down like, okay, okay, nasty. Oh my gosh. I'm glad you're here. Ah, Thank you know? God and you're I here. Look yeah. Kind of, yeah. I got kind of past him and I see way up over here, 
to my, you know, looking up and to my right, and so to the ship's port side, there's an airplane angling over towards towards the carrier. That's the first time I see Mark and Keith and the, and the airplane, right? So I, I look over the airplane and I, I get the I get the the handset on my left hand and the and the pickle in my right. Hand. The pickle is what controls the wave off lights on on the Fresnel lens, and so you the LSOs hold it, and you can you can click a a button, a dead man switch. Uh, actually, not a dead man switch. It's a it's a switch, uh, and 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 key the wave off lights and 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 wave airplanes off. So I got the pickle on my right hand. It's on a long cord, and I've got the phone also on a long cord in my um, in my left ear, and I'm the only qualified LSO on the platform. Nobody else is coming to the platform. And except for except for this trainee, oh. and he says, "Okay, hey Nancy, can I back you up?" And I go, "No, no, no, no. I want you to stand over there by the enlisted guy, and I want you to I want you to stare at the foul deck light, and I want you to just tell me once it goes green, I'm going to be focused on the airplane. Tell me if we go to a foul deck. That is your entire job because I can't land an airplane at foul deck, no matter how how bad it is, right? So right. if there's something in the way, the deck isn't set, the gear isn't set, then you got to say foul deck and wave the airplane off, even like this with, you know, with the situation we had. Yeah. So he's like, okay, okay. And so, you know, stand, stand over there. I walked out and I actually walked out about 50 feet into the landing area with the two cords. And I stood out there staring at kind of the center line of my left. I didn't use any of the gauges. Stared at the center line of my left and the airplane coming up. And, and with the ship turning really hard, trying to find the right wind to land the A6, and with Mark flying the airplane over towards the wake, it was pretty evident that that we wanted to get him and the ship lined up. And you, you can't really land effectively when the ship is turning, especially when it's turning hard. Right. Yeah. And so I kept looking up at at the the wind indicator on the island and the flags to kind of get a visual indication of the wind. And I kept looking at Mark. And as as he came over towards the wake, I started looking at him and started to talk to him and talking to the captain about steadying up the ship. Cause what I didn't want to do is lose control of the ship's course when I'm trying to land the a six the first time. And, and there was a sense of urgency in me to land him the first time. Right. Cause you know, yeah. Cause it just sounded like that. And what I had the picture of, by the way, I forgot to tell hey, you nasty. This. Was the ship making yeah. the, was it making left turns trying to get into the wind? Just a constant big ass left turn. Just this huge turn, you know, that they had to get out of the downwind position all the way around 180 degrees to the upwind position. Because we're heading downwind, which you always do to create the sea room while you're positioning airplanes for the launch, and then you turn back into the wind. Okay. As planned later. You know, so now all of a sudden, emergency pull forward. So the ship is in this huge turn, right? And he's going to go to a predicted course, which I don't know what it is, but I'm staring at the flags going to see if he's close. So they get in the wind as I bring this airplane down. And um, what, what I forgot to tell you is when, when, it, when the bosun said his feet are still in the cockpit, I had this picture of him actually flapping outside. Like, you know, like, what, how can his feet be in the cockpit? And he's not. You know, I had no idea right. of, like, how he ended up where he was because it, it, didn't, it didn't get explained. So anyway, here, come, here comes the airplane. He's probably a mile out, and he's, he's approaching the extended wake. Um, and for the listeners, I'm, I'm actually – looking away from the phone and pointing up and up over here with, you know, this imaginary vision of the airplane being over there. And I see kind of this block on top of the airplane. It's, it's like a black block. It just doesn't look right. You know, you're looking at the airplane a mile out and you, you see the, 
you know, the nose of the A6, kind of the canopy, the wings, of course, and then, and then a black rectangle on top. As he gets closer and he starts to align with the wake, I see what looks like a cross that actually ends up, as he gets really close, being Keith Gallagher stuck out the top, unconscious, with his arms splayed out by the wind. So oh, imagine a, the shape of a cross, his arms are being held back by the wind, you know, a couple, couple, hundred, right. couple hundred miles an hour of wind. As he's getting closer and, and Mark, the, Mark Baden, the pilot, is sliding across the wake, I start telling the captain to steady the ship up. And I said, and I start lip locking Mark, you know, I tell him, uh, I tell him, hey, I got you. You know, I start narrating, you know, you're a little high, you're a little right. And, and because of the, the parachute and the way Mark was sticking out, he had the attitude of the A6 was kind of cocked up into the right. So I was telling him left rudder. He never told a jet anything about rudder. And like a little bit of left rudder, a little bit of left rudder, a little high, a little high, you know, keep it coming. And then, and then captain, I'll take the wind, steady up the ship. You know, and then, and then, you know, a little high, keep it coming. And then captain, I'll take the wind. Right that, steady enough in God, God's voice. And so <laughs> this thing steadies up. And, and the reason that, you know, we had to get to certain courses, there's a crosswind limit that you can't exceed when you're landing airplanes particularly from, from the right, because the disturbed air from the island and everything else on the right side of the ship will get kind of that disturbed air forms a, we call it a burble, the burble but it's right. sort of a bubble of air at the back end of the ship. And if you get it too close to the ramp, an airplane, you know, will, you got the right power and then he drops out of the sky and you can hit the ramp. So um, I figured I'd take the crosswind and then keep him powered up to come across the, across the flight deck. So anyway, I just started lip locking them. We got Captain Steady up, Steady up, right to that, and the, you know, and and there's a there's actually an audio recording of the thing, so I won't waste the listeners' time with it. But basically, lip lock them all the way down. And as he got close to me, you know, coming in, and I'm standing there on the flight deck, uh, away from the LSO platform, just staring at the airplane. Um, you know, I see, I see, of course, this cross, and then I then I physically see Keith out of the airplane up to his middle torso arms are splayed and his face is over looking at me and his eyes are closed and he looks like he's dead and i've never seen an aviator in an airplane flying with no mask and helmet on well except for when you're screwing around over the top of a rack or something when somebody's doing some funny things but (laughs) not crossing the ramp right not that that ever happened no (laughs) no 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 but that's another story you know there i was um anyway this bare face is looking at me it's like oh god he's dead i mean it just it just is like this shocking, he's dead. And instantly as well, as he's crossing around, I want him to stop, but I don't want him to stop because he's going to trap and he's going to come flying out of the airplane and get run over by the jet because there's nothing holding him into the, into the airplane. So I'm thinking he's going to fly out of the airplane. And then as the airplane passes me, um, there's this long streak down the back of the airplane. Turned out it was the orange panel of the parachute, but it looked like blood. Oh, oh boy this tragic, oh my God, he's dead. There's blood all down the back of the airplane. It's going to come flying out. It's going to be the most God-awful train wreck you ever saw. And then, and then he stopped. But what was, what was amazing is, I think a combination of the crosswind, um, there's, a, there's an LSO Buffalo called Don't Go High, Don't Go High, Don't Go High. And that, that's licensed for take the power off and drop the airplane into the wires. And so I said, you know, don't go high a bunch of times. I wanted to land him on the one wire to give him the most chances to stop. And I think the combination of Mark not wanting to go around with Keith there at knee level with him, me right. trying to drop him on the one wire, 
and the crosswind dropped him about 50 feet aft of the, of the one wire. So close to the ramp. Wow. And like A6s do, he bounced and the hook bounced and it skipped over the one, the two, and I'm screaming attitude, 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 which is pull back on the stick, attitude of the stick. So the, so the hook will grab, he skips the one, two, three, and grabs the four and rolls out. Great. And so airplane rolls out. I drop the phone and the pickle and I start running towards the airplane, just like everybody else. And the air boss is screaming on the, on the general, on the flight deck announcing system, get out of the way, get clear the airplane, clear the flight deck, you know, cause you know, all these, you know, looky loos are going that way. The whole flight deck was running that direction. They got the, they got the plane clear of the wire, you know, and I'm watching and they kind of put everything down. And I, I think he's dead. Sure. I, I honestly got, think he's dead. So I walk off the LSO platform, go down inside the ship and uh, the A6 ready room was the third ready room back uh, uh, moving forward. There was a two fighter ready room, A6 ready room. So I walk in there and, um, you know, walk in and, and the skipper, Jacko Worthington uh, is a skipper, a, a 95. And I walk in and I, I say, God, I'm sorry. He goes, yeah. He goes, what a man, what a thing. He's, he's down in medical getting sewn up. And I go, he's alive. <laughs> he goes, yeah, he's getting sewn up down to medical. So I'm like racing out the ship, go racing down the O3 level, down the ladders, down into medical. And I go in there and I see Mark and Mark, Mark Baden is leaning against the door jam, going to the medicals. Eyes are wide as saucers. He's like, oh shit. And a bunch of other, you know, expletives that we, we won't do on the radio here. But, but I, uh, I go, wow, I mean, great job. Um, you know, and, and stuff. I go in there and there's Keith lying on the, you know, the, the bed or the gurney or the examination table. And there's a bunch of medical people around and they're sewing up the inside of his right arm, like in his armpit. And he had gotten cut pretty badly right up into his armpit because when um, the seat went through the canopy and I'll explain what happened in a minute, or maybe they explained already. Maybe you just asked a question about what happened. Maybe you already covered that. Yeah. But anyway, when he went through the canopy, there were these shards of, you know, canopy glass right like inches from his chest. And so when the, when the wind splayed him back, um, his arms were out and one of the shards caught him in the, uh, in the, uh, in the armpit. And then his eye, you know, was all beat up. His face is all beat up. He looked black and blue and he's there, but he's awake. Right. And so, so I go over there near his head and I go, dude. And he goes, Hey paddles. I said, good to see you. Oh my God. And he goes, uh, he goes, Hey paddles, what'd you give my pilot? <laughs> and I said, I said, what? And he goes, a landing grade. And I said, and, and no kidding, no kidding. This is a tens moment. I am not kidding. This is an absolute true story. This is insane. Discuss. This is what happened. This is not me making it up. And I said, I gave him an okay underline. Of course. I mean, he's, he's awesome. He got you back and forth. And Keith grins and he goes, from where I was, he was high all the way. <laughs> Love it. From where I was, because he was four feet yeah. higher. Oh, that's yeah. great. But but as he'll tell you, he passed out at four thousand feet from asphyxiation, right. yeah. and he didn't wake up until he was back on the flight deck. So that was even right. funnier. And knowing that he had done that, that he that he had to sense the humor to say, and there I, you know, from where I was, he was high all the way. That's great. We actually you know, got a comment from a guy who was uh, a, a BN in, in VA ninety five. Uh, about a week after that show, the guy said, I, I was there and I was on the deck. He said, when he started waking up after uh, they got the airplane chocked, it looked like a marionette 
puppet being picked up by the puppet master as he started, uh, you know, regaining consciousness and all that. And then, of course, Yogi talks about, you know, sitting there looking around. He goes, we were about in the same position after landing that we were going to be taking off from the waste cat. He's like, well, you know, what happened? Why didn't we take off yet? And then Keith, or wow. uh, Master goes, yeah, w we just landed. And he goes, that's when it all came rushing back. So, yeah. But Yeah. It is funny to watch. There's a couple of plat videos. If you watch the one from the from the camera on the crotch, it's focused on on him. He's you know he's out, and all of a sudden he just starts waking up and moving around and and talking and you know all that kind of you know uh, kind of stuff too. So the other interesting thing, which which probably didn't come up, you're talking to him. We we had a bunch of mishaps that that cruise. Um, we lost. We had a we had a collision of two Tomcats uh, just off Singapore. Um, one airplane ejected, got cut in half. Uh, they were okay, but I think they were a fishing vessel. The other airplane with half the wing off landed at Changi Airport. Um, the day before, I brought a guy into the into the uh, into the break on my wing. He got into a, a PIO oscillation at the 180 and ejected. Went into the water right out the 180. Um, wow. we had this one later on in the Gulf, we had a cold cod F-18, cold cat F-18 guy ejected right at the end of the flight deck and went floating down the left side. We're throwing stuff to him from the LSO platform. So it, it was, uh, uh, and, and at that time we weren't, it was about when naval aviation was getting a heck of a lot safer, but we had, we had lots of mishaps that, that deployment, uh, on Abraham Lincoln, uh, a little bit out of normal. Yeah, Master did say that there was uh, that day they took off. They had gone over their EP's uh, emergency procedures pretty carefully, uh, reviewed them. He said there was a little bit of a black cloud at that point in time, and everyone was a little concerned. So he said, "But it, you know, yeah. we got up, we got into our mission. About forty-five minutes into the mission, we started to relax. Rut roll, <laughs> <laughs> never, <Yeah. laughs> never relax. Right when you least expect it. So, well, that thank you for that because that." That kind of crosses some T's and puts some dots on it. We we've heard the uh, we've heard the plat uh, or your your audio. The audio. Uh, yeah, we put it on the episode with uh, Master and and Yogi, and it, it was pretty intense. Uh, you know, the I was there. I felt like I was right there as they're telling the story and repeats spliced. You know, the actual comms and it was it was pretty darn cool. And the fact that uh, you told the captain of the ship how to steer the ship. Count them three times. I'll take the winds, Captain. Steady up. <laughs> so that was your first command of an aircraft carrier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, nasty Yogi's uh, Yogi's comment about that particular uh, part of it was: it's amazing with anatomy like that 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 nasty could maneuver himself through the ship, dragging those giant balls around. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, I tell you, let me. Let me connect the dot for you for a second uh, on on that idea. I had it, and it goes back to the bug roach. I, I received the bug roach, the very initial bug roach paddles award, and they they present it every year now for for the LSO has you know the best performance as it were. But at the time, that was the first year, and they they were taking nominations to present this award, and that this thing got submitted, and, and I received the the award there, but. But go back a little bit. So I, when I was going through flight training in Kingsville, Texas, I, I flew with Bug Roach. And Bug at the time was a was an 04. He was the ops officer at Kingsville. So you can imagine in, in the, you know, Fitrep 500, how you get to be the ops officer at Kingsville, Texas in the training base as an F-14 pilot. It's probably 
you're probably not the top of the heat, but he was a legendary, legendary landing signal officer. And the thing about Bug is he could talk, he could talk the pilot's hands into doing, you know, basically a remote control, Bug remote controlled airplane. And he would just tell the pilot what to do with his hands. And he had all of these non-standard radio calls that everybody loved because Every pilot was, that's exactly what he needed to do. But the LSO community hated because it was not standard. Right. And so there was this huge fight about, you know, what to say on the radio. And about the time I was going through LSO school, learning how to be a team leader and that kind of stuff, this idea of standardization with comps was really, you know, it was really strong. Um, and it was sort of split up between the East Coast and the West Coast because Bug was a West Coast LSO. And so on the East Coast, you know, they don't have people like this. So, you know, standard power calls at certain times. But, but sometimes the standard calls just don't express on a really black, pitching deck, rainy, horrible night, you know, that it's going to be okay. And if you just do what I, you know, what I tell you to do, you're going to be down here having sliders with us later. So Bug was, and the way that he talked, this sonorous voice, you know, it, it just was awesome. He just exuded confidence. It's all going to be okay. going to be done here. Well, I modeled myself after Bug. I just wanted to be the guy who was able to connect with the pilot. It was a big deal for me. And I owned the whole pass. And every once in a while, I would use a bugism like land it, which would just be just stick the goddamn thing in the wires, you know, and, and stop, you know, or something like that, or nice. tell them to do something with the nose. That confidence, that control that went into the thing in my brain that said, Hey, Captain, steady up. I got the win. I got this. I, I, I got this. Even the guy stuck out the top. I got the A6. I know what to do here. Just steady the ship out so I can land the airplane. And that's kind of where it came from was this, was this feeling of, of uh, brotherhood with bug and, and sort of, you know, waving like he did and, uh, and moving forward. Last point. It's funny after that deployment, you know, and later on, I'm back at, uh, I'm back normal. And, and it's Monday. It, it, on Wednesday, they're going to present this award to me at the Miramar Oak Club. Bug's going to present it. The, it, 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 it is a sculpture. It's, a, it's an LSO, uh, a bronze sculpture. And in the day that I, that, that I got it, it's an actual sculpture. And it's over there. It's about eight inches high. The, the uh, sculptor was going to be there. It's a really huge deal. And so, anyway, Bug's a you know, legendary character. He was riding this motorized scooter motorized skateboard he was an adversary pilot and i'm walking up to the training command here goes my motorized skateboard had a horrendous noise i mean it's and like, hey hey you know this award on wednesday i'm going to be there i'm so proud of the thing and, and uh you know really cool and i go yeah i mean it's really 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 great I had a conversation with him. tuesday tuesday he went out in a4 on, on a flight and um the engine failed in the a4 so he ejected, and the ejection seat malfunctioned, and he died. Oh, dear gosh. And they presented the award on Wednesday. And what they found was the they'd taken the armor plate out of the adversary A4s, and they'd removed where the ejection seat lanyards had been hooked, uh-huh. the, the actual anchor piece. So the seat went out without any of the automatic stuff yanked by the lanyard. Oh, shit. And uh, in the investigation, they, that was the case, and we never know why he didn't you know, he didn't push away from the seat and, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, the manual seat sure. separation. And, and he died on Tuesday and they presented it on Wednesday. Wow. That's rough. So he always wore a uh, flight suit with no T-shirt, unzipped and a big peace symbol 
on his chest. If you see a picture of him on the flight deck, you will see this big, fat, funny peace symbol right in the center of his chest. His hairy chest, no T-shirt, and cowboy boots. And so when I received the award, I did keep my T-shirt on. I didn't open up my less than hairy chest, but I did wear cowboy boots in his honor when I received the award. And uh, we, we talked about Bug at that ceremony. So uh, kind of th- this wow. particular story has a lot of uh, has a lot of uh, um, flavor to it. So, oh, that's awesome, though. Yeah, no, it's yeah, thank what you a great that. what a great mentor. And uh, that's yeah, that's amazing. That uh, you know, so he he had, he played a part in helping getting those guys aboard that day because uh, because he passed on to you what was necessary to make it happen. So no, that's that's very cool. Um, in fact, I will ask if you have a photo of that award, I'd like to put that up on our website as we post this episode. I appreciate. Oh, uh, okay. I will um I will do both and send them to you. Well, as much as I hate to cut things off right here. Nasty. We're going to have to break here and come back next week with the remainder of this interview. There are another 45 plus minutes with Nasty as he recounts being a squadron commander of VF 31, the executive officer of the USS Carl Vinson, the commanding officer of the Sacramento, also the commanding officer of the USS Nimitz, and the strike group commander as an admiral aboard the USS Eisenhower. What an underachiever! Part two will be just as exciting as this show, I promise. The adventures are numerous and legendary. So let me take this opportunity to thank Dave Hamilton over at the Mac Geek Gab podcast, found at macgeekgab.com, for all his support and technical expertise in helping us put this show together. And now it's time for me to ask a couple of favors of you. One, please subscribe to our show on the Apple Podcasts app if you can. And two, there you can give us a five-star rating and write a review. But subscribing is the most important thing you can do because it boosts our ratings. If you prefer, you can also subscribe and listen on Amazon Music, Android, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere that you use to aggregate and listen to podcasts. If you have any other comments, please subscribe and share them at our website, so there I was.us. If you have any questions, you can reach us via email at fig at so there I was.us or repeat at so there I was.us. We will write back. And finally, please continue to do what it appears you've been doing all along. Share this show with your friends and anyone you think might enjoy the show. The latest numbers we have show us over 700 listeners per show and growing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Please keep that up. And until next week, everyone, stay safe and check six.
Okay, just a little bit low. Just a little bit low, come left. That paddle's talked down, I got you. Come a little bit left. A little bit of right rudder. A little bit of right rudder. We're on center line. On center line. A little right for lineup. Don't go high. Don't go high. Attitude, attitude, attitude.